Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda the 20th anniversary of Princess Diana's death and revisiting some key interviews in her public life, plus Kim Kardashian, an interview, and North's first cover, sending love to all of our people in Houston and uh, talking about flooding elsewhere in the world as well, plus women who created a fake male co-founder to uh, keep things moving along with their startup, and have you seen this Ivanka Del Rey video? We're obsessed. Hi, Ann Friedman. How's it going over there? Uh, okay. Just okay. Yeah. I feel you. Maybe this will be our, like, I won't call it a low energy episode, but, you know, maybe a chill episode. Maybe that's... Chill vibes. Maybe that's the way to think about it. A hundred percent. Well, I've been thinking of you because it's the 20-year anniversary of Princess Diana's death, and I know how important she is to you. Oh my God. It's making me very emotional because I can't handle any of the content on the twin of about the twentieth anniversary of her death. Like it's just like it's very hard to contend with. My mom was a huge Princess Diana fan. And in fact, she died on the day of my parents' anniversary and my mom canceled the anniversary party. Like she was like, We're not doing any of this. And she put on a bathrobe and, like, sat home Wow! for, like, two weeks watching TV. There's really something about, like, Black Moms and Princess Diana that I really wish somebody would write about or, like, expand on that is really, I don't know, I need to get to the bottom of it. What do you think it is? Is it something that has to do with, like, class or, like, something that has to do with, like, the way that she's, like, a fairy tale princess, but, like, not in the cartoony sense, like, in the modern day, like, this doesn't happen sense? I think it's all of those things, but I think really at the the bottom of it is that she was somebody who was, like, emotionally very accessible, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So everything from the insane amount of, like, philanthropy work that she did and, you know, like, she was kind of the first public person to touch somebody with AIDS publicly. Mm-hmm. Like, that was an earth-shattering moment in, like, whenever it happened, which, like, today seems really silly, but, like, at the time, it was like, what? A member of the royal house is saying that it's okay to to be there. And then she, she did all this, like, in, incredible work for, like, refugees and people 
whose limbs had been lost to landmines and that kind of stuff. So she was like very connected to people in this like global sense. But also I think that like a lot of women can just also relate to like the tragedy of a bad marriage. Your life is supposed to set up to be a princess. And then instead it's like everything goes left. And I think that there's something like really profoundly human about that. Yeah. I mean, there's also something too about you don't have to be, you know, literally a princess to understand that a man as your way of accessing power is like both in some ways great because it's like it is true that she gained power through that marriage that she would not have otherwise had. But it's also a pretty fraught way to come by power and prominence. And like, I don't know what it's like to work through that in such like a public venue either, you know? Yeah, it's just, it's so interesting. And also, I think, too, that, you know, there's something about, like, media coverage at the time that is really interesting, where she was able to kind of, to exploit, like, the best and the worst of tabloids to tell her own story in a way that made her, again, like, more accessible to people and kind of, you know, like, not to say that it was manipulative, given that, like, whatever, it's like everybody manipulates, like, media and PR, But I do think that, you know, she made herself like vulnerable and just like human in these ways that people had never seen like a royal or maybe even just like a very, very rich person do. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm thinking about all of the pictures of like her and her kids at like amusement parks or, you know, just like looking really sexy on a yacht and swimming. At the time, I like didn't understand that. But now that we live in a Kardashian world and like I know how the Daily Mail works, it's like, oh, like you get the story that these pictures are supposed to, like, tell, and you, like, understand how they end up in the hands that they end up in. And so I think that, like, you know, for that, she was, like, a really savvy, like, media operator. But also, like, the story of, like, the marriage breaking down is crazy. It's, like, I'm thinking about that, like, Martin Bashir interview, you know, and I'm, like, who does that? Who, like, talks to Martin Bashir about the breakdown of their marriage? Like, nobody, nobody does that. Like, don't do that ever again. Yeah, talk about that interview a little bit because, like, I feel like that's one of those things I was definitely not aware of in real time and, like, read about later. Well, for one, Martin Bashir is, like... British journalists are, like, very interesting to me because they're either, like, seem very respectable or they're just, like, very trashy. There's no Mm in-between. But Martin Bashir was, like, definitely, like, a tabloid reporter at the time. In fact, he like got fired from like some American network recently, which uh, I don't remember which, but it's essentially because he's like a tacky, like tragic, you know, like whatever. But so anyway, he lands this like Princess Diana interview on the BBC in 1995, I believe. And it was an incredibly frank interview where, um, so Princess Diana and Prince Charles had been, had separated. Mm -hmm. And so it's like everything in the media is going really bad. So she sits down with Martin Bashir on BBC to tell her side of the story. And her, which, you know, like everybody should walk in their truth, like for sure. But this is one of those instances where like walking in your truth has ginormous like repercussions on everybody else's life in a way that is that's like kind of really unfortunate for people who are in the public eye. So in the interview, she like admits that she was having like this affair with her her writing instructor. She like talks about how hurt she was at her husband's relationship with Camilla, uh, Camilla Parker Bowles. Who, when I was growing up, like, to me, she was the ultimate villain. (laughs) Like, I was just like, nobody can be more evil than this woman. But also, yeah, it was like, 
She, like, the princess was also, like, great. She, like, talked about depression, about bulimia. I think it was the first time for me that I heard, like, a famous person talk about an eating disorder. That was something that I was, like, really, that, like, had a huge effect on me. When you have bulimia, you're very ashamed of yourself. And you hate yourself. So, um, and people think you're wasting food. So it doesn't, you don't discuss it with people. And the thing about bulimia is your weight always stays the same. Whereas with anorexia, you visibly shrink. So you can pretend the whole way through. There's no proof. When you say people would think you were wasting food, did anybody suggest that to you? Oh, yes, a number of times. What was said? Well, it was just, um, I suppose you're going to waste that food later on. You know, that was pressure in itself. And of course I would, because it was my release valve. How long did this bulimia go on for? A long time, a long time. But I'm free of it now. Two years, three years? Mm, a little bit more than that. Right. Um, and, like, she talked about her kids. She talked about, like, you know, how the monarchy is weird. She said that famous line about um, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Mm. Like, which is something that has stayed with me, like, forever and ever and ever. Oh, my God, I realized that all of my feelings about marriage were, like, formed in this interview. She also said in her in the interview that she wanted to be the queen of people's hearts, which like this is before Twitter and this amazing like 140 character like description of yourself. Also talk about setting a high bar, right? Like, I mean, I feel like that's the kind of thing now if I heard someone say they wanted to be queen of people's hearts, I would be like, oh my God, that is, you're setting yourself up for like sadness and depression and failure. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I know that... You know, I think the interview, I, well, I don't think, I'm pretty sure the interview is on YouTube. You should go back and watch it. Like, I will go back and watch it. But I remember that she was definitely, like, fidgeting during the interview. She was talking, like, very, um, she was really soft-spoken. She just, like, did not look confident. It was, like, anxiety slash defiance, you know, mm. where you're like, I'm going to do this thing. And then when you sit down to do it, it's like, should I be doing this? But it's too late now. And later on, there were a lot of reports that she regretted doing the interview, but the interview itself was, like, very damaging for the royal family because it just, like, it was, like, all of the secrets that were out in the open that everybody kind of knew about, she confirmed. Mm -hmm. Going back to the thing about, like, being a savvy media operator, this is, like, what running, like, shadow PR looks like, right? It's, like, you got to throw some people under the bus so that, like, you get to be the, the, the princess of people's hearts or whatever. Right. You know, but I feel like, I don't know, that interview for me is such a high mark because I, I feel that we get so few of those kinds of interviews now, except when somebody has done something like really, really, really wrong, you know, and they're kind of rehabbing themselves. Right. It's the like, okay, you got to sit down with Diane Sawyer. You need to sit down with Robin Roberts. Like there's all these like things that you're supposed to do. But now it's like a, it's more like a crisis exercise as opposed to like a I want to tell my truth kind of exercise. Oof, so yeah. yeah, the nine the the 90s were like very weird when it came to that kind of disclosure. But also now people have you know it's like celebrities and famous people have platforms where they can they can do this stuff on their own. But uh so anyway, that's the my media like tangent aside. But I just remember like that that interview to me like is still it's like a thing I don't understand, but was a thing that like definitely contributed to like endearing her even more to so many other people because she was just like, she was like telling the truth about her life mm. and she didn't need to like dress it up. And she was like a normal person who just wanted to be a good mom and she wanted her boys to like grow up to be 
like good normal people and it was just like it like the whole thing is like tragic and sad right yeah I mean it's funny like listening to you talk about that too I'm thinking about the interview magazine cover an interview with Kim Kardashian West which I also read this week I'm sure did you read it I have not read it but it will be at my house probably this week <laughs> well I mean it's just like it, it to just continue that thread about like how women in the public eye like do or don't control their own narratives now and like it's just like an interesting like I'm always, I'm always interested in as much in the choices about like who to grant the interview to and like when to do it and in what context as much as like what's actually said in the interview. Yeah, it's like the story behind the story I think is just as important, right? As much as the message. I've not read the Kim interview at all. I just saw the the images of them trying to make her look like Jackie O mm-hmm. and uh North Northy looks really cute. It was one of those things that, you know, I just like I just wonder, I'm like, what are you trying to accomplish here mm-hmm. right now in this moment? You know, and like, and is this the right time to do this for you? But also like, will you regret like putting your kid in this like really, you know, it's like you propel your child forward for like PR reasons, which like every parent has the right to do. Like, I'm not going to judge that. But I think that it's one of those like, like, how is this going to hold up like 20 years from now? This gets back to all of my questions about Assad Khalid as public figure. <laughs> it's like a totally the same like set of reservations about like, and I guess like like parents make this who are not super famous make this choice all the time about like how much of their kids' lives to put on the internet and when. But I just like I wonder. You're right. Like how how it's going to age for the kids of celebrities, and is it going to feel like? You know, if they have a hard time, which like the children of celebrities notoriously have a difficult time, not all, but like many have a difficult time like transitioning to adulthood and like living their own lives. It's like, how does this stuff age, you know, depending on how their story changes? I go back and forth about this a lot. As somebody who like does not have children, it's obviously like a really easy like line to draw, you know? But I, like, personally feel that unless you have your children's permission, you should not be telling their stories online. Because it, like, you, you know, it's like for all of us, like, we were not exposed to the internet until, like, we kind of had control over it. I even think about those, like, really early days of Facebook when you would have to have the, like, hey, actually, I don't want that picture of me doing that kickstand on, like, on your Facebook album. Can you take it down? Like, those weird kinds of conversations. That's, like, a conversation that's, like, obviously, like, you know, like, a three-year-old cannot have with their parents. But, I like, a couple of, like, a couple of celebrities, like, are really frank about it. Like, Busy Phillips, I think it was on in her Who Weekly interview, or it might have been somewhere else, where she talked about, like, you know, like, she, she like, her entire life is on Instagram. And she kind of has to do that. That's essentially her job now. Mm-hmm. Don't begrudge her that. But she has, like, one daughter who is really young and then one who is, like, a kind of, like, maybe older tween, I think. And she was talking about how the tween, like the the older one of the two, has become like really, I don't want to be in your feed because like my friends watch this and blah, blah, blah. And like they had a conversation about it and like that's going on, mm-hmm. which I was like, that's good. Even kids have agency over their own, their own image and how they want to be portrayed. And that stuff is forever, but it's also like really complicated, right? About like owning your own narrative. So even if it comes from this perspective of like, ew, don't embarrass me. Like from a seven-year-old, I think that it is still, it's still like really, really valid. But at the same time, it's like some people just choose to live all of their lives in public. Obviously, somebody who is a princess like kind of has to, 
there's not a lot that you can do about that. So you have to take back your narrative how you want. But, you know, like even today, like regular people just use social media all the time. And having to make that calculus every single day of every single minute about like what you show and who you show and how you do it, like it also gets really exhausting. Yeah. And like the idea, too, of I think everybody understands that what you get whether it's in an interview or like on someone's Instagram or whatever, you understand that that's not the whole story and you're kind of seeing selectively what they want you to see. But there are like repercussions for how your authenticity is perceived, I think, when you make choices to protect your own privacy or like the privacy of your family members. And like, there's also not enough conversation about that too, about like, I mean, normally when their performativity comes up in the context of, like, what are you posting on social media? It's often through this lens of women's sexuality. Like, it's not, like, about, like, how everybody is including and omitting and, like, stylizing what they're posting if they're doing it for an audience beyond people who know them in real life. And I I wonder, I'm not friends with, like, lots of teenagers or people who have grown up with Instagram, but, like, I wonder how... I'm sure that that critical thinking, like, does enter into a lot of how people use Instagram or whatever. But, like, I don't see, like, a ton of conversations. Like, I feel like schools should be talking about, like, stuff like this, you know? Like, like the, yeah, this gap. I, you know, I think that schools should teach it. I think we should have more honest conversations about it. Because, like, back to Princess Diana, I think that one thing that was also really apparent to me, especially, like, in the days after her death, was this feeling of, like, feeling complicit because, you know, like... I maintain that she was literally killed by paparazzi. Right, like, that's yeah. That's how I feel about it. I'm like, that's literally how I feel about it. And, you know, but I'm somebody who, like, consumes a lot of, like, gossip news. And it's something I feel really conflicted about. And I've, like, drawn lines for myself. I don't do, like, any kids' coverage. I don't like to talk about it. You know, whatever. Like, we're all fucking complicit. Like, I can, I can say that. But I think, too, that the other thing that it does is, like, one conversation that we never have, or the, or I guess the conversation that we do have is we're always like, well, if you're a public figure, like, your life deserves to be out there completely, which is a thing that I don't agree with at all. I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like, the relationship that you have with public people is you get what they give you. And if what they're giving you is music, then you buy a ticket and you go to their concert or you buy their like music or whatever. And that's the extent of your relationship. For royals, obviously, it's it's a little different because this is where I'm also going to come out against monarchies in general. Um, <laughs> and like, I'm sorry, we like literally, well, not me, like, I don't care. But like British taxpayers literally pay these people just to make public appearances and to like keep up with like whatever the monarchy is supposed to be. Speaking of gossip news, I was reading a thing about like Kate and Will and how they were moving back into Kensington Palace. And literally the subhead was they've been accused of not pulling their weight. And the accusation of not pulling their weight is because, like, Will has, he has, like, a part-time job. Like, he's just like, okay, I'm going to have a job for, like, real money and, like, do real shit because he, like, went into the army. And Kate's like, I'm raising my kids. That is, like, deeply offensive to royal watchers because they're like, no, no, you guys have duties and you're not discharging your duties. And now that their kid is, like, going to school, they're like, okay, we need to settle down. It's like, Will is quitting his job or whatever. But the framing of it that way was so offensive to me. It was like, are you serious? Because you're, like, born into this family, you have to do this, like, bullshit that you don't, like, watch The Crown on Netflix. It's, like, the whole time I'm watching it and yelling, like, you're creating these problems for yourself. Like, nobody cares. But also, like, the public is really complicit. 
they get paid to do the duties, but like the people fucking love it. Nobody's like, hey, actually, it's 2017. We don't need this ginormous family to like do all this dumb stuff that we make them do for us. But because like they do it, people feel like they're entitled to know everything about their lives. So there's no semblance of privacy. It's like everybody feels that they own a piece of them, which I think is really deeply unfair. What's the youngest one? Not Will. The other one. Harry. Harry. Sorry, I can't believe it. And he's my favorite. Totally blank there. (laughs) Harry is like dating this like actress, this who actress. And it's like my favorite romance in the world. But when they started dating, he literally had to put out a statement that was like, one, stop being racist to my girlfriend because she's like kind of black. And two, let us have our relationship just to ourselves. So they literally are doing spycraft to like see each other. Like the the paparazzi is like so confounded. It's like she'll land at Heathrow and then they don't see her come out of the airport. And then, you know, like days later, she's like riding a bicycle in the Whole Foods, like (laughs) in London. And they're like, how did that happen? And I was like, this is crazy. Like you won't let these two people date and like have a shot at just like being themselves because like we are so hungry to like know what is going on in their lives. But his statement, people were really shocked by it because that like royals never acknowledge their own humanity. And for once, he was like, hi, like, I grew up in the bubble. Like, don't do this to the person I love. And I was like, this is so, you are your mother's son, but also, like, we are all really shitty people for participating in this economy. This is awful. Yeah, I mean, my feelings change a little bit if you are in a position where the public is paying your salary or subsidizing your lifestyle. So, like, the difference between a celebrity and, like, a celebrity's child and a politician or a public figure and then their child, I think is pronounced. Like, I don't think anyone's child should be in the public eye, like, without having some kind of say in it. When you're talking about politicians' personal lives, though, especially, that's where I'm like, it's 100% fair game if you are writing laws that affect the personal lives of people, like, across the country. And I know it's, like, a little bit different with the royal family in the UK, but, like, when I think about U.S. politicians who, especially during campaigns and stuff, are like, leave my spouse's job out of this... No, not if your spouse works at Goldman Sachs. Listen, talk about it, Ted Cruz. <laughs> right, or like, or like, you know, it's not relevant where my family vacations or something like that. I'm just like, mm, I'm sorry, but it is. Like, if you're asking us to pay your salary, the accountability is different. So I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit torn. I don't actually know a lot other than like centuries of inherited privilege, like what the royal family is getting, right? Like, I don't know, obviously, like, some subsidized housing. Oh, my God, they get so much money. Right. They, like, are millions. Right. They get so much money. So then, so, like, so then, like, I actually do think, like, okay, what are you, what are you doing to earn that keep is, like, a fair question. And the answer might not be, like, offer up your personal life on a plate, but, like, you know, 100%, like, pull your weight if you are, or, or, like, find a way to reject that. Like plenty of us had to reject the value systems or baggage of our families in order to do something different. I'm like, you know, like you're an adult now. (laughs) You get to decide how how you want to operate. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, what? which one was it? Like Edward 7, 5, 6, 7. Whichever one divorced to marry his American girlfriend with my favorite name, Wallace Simpson. Yes, Uh Edward 7. He was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Slash, he was in love with this like American lady and they were like, "Mm, this is not how this works. He literally abdicated Mm -hmm. so he could be with his lady, you know? And I was like, people have to make tough choices. Right. If you don't want this life, you should do something else. (laughs) You know what I mean? You should like maybe have a real respectable job 
people feel how they want to feel about monarchies. I personally think that they're stupid. I don't see what they add except for like people feeling good about themselves and feeling some sort of level of prestige. It's like release these people, let them do like real jobs. And to be clear, in some like other European monarchies, like people have honest jobs. They like get to be princesses, but they also have to like go to work at the bank every day. Right. I see all of it on a continuum from like royals to celebrities to even politicians. I feel that like how we get the information matters. But also, like, how the information that we have is weaponized matters a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Because the thing that always happens is that we hold these people to standards that we don't hold ourselves, you know? Which I think is something that is, like, fair to discuss as a society. One of the reasons that American politics is such a sham, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but one thing that's actually refreshing about Donald Trump is that the hypocrisy is laid bare, for like everybody because you're supposed to get up there and then overnight you go from somebody who was like your own regular self to like some sort of like presidential saint like all of your vices disappear and you like become you know like you become this like polite like muted person and because he's like a fucking idiot he's incapable of doing that people don't know how to react to that they don't know how to be like like you know he's like still eating kfc out of the bucket and he's doing like all of these things and it's like maybe no it's like maybe some of the standards that we hold people in political office to are ridiculous and we should start having conversations about like that like why that's dumb it's like i think about like you know the melania's like stiletto scandal or like everything that michelle obama wore or like things like that or the ways that we also like really weaponize like sex when it comes to celebrities or when it comes to like public figures i think as a society like reflects really poorly on us we make sexual behavior shameful no matter like what happens without knowing all of the details and also again we hold them to standards that we don't hold ourselves to like how many people are divorced and like divorce it was this like such an unseemly thing and you know it's like like we still have never had a divorce president like that's probably not going to happen for generations it's like look at the royals like how much they had to fight to be able to just divorce people well <laughs> well just, we do like, have a divorce president lives. like that's the thing <laughs> oh you're right yeah now we have <laughs> I'm sorry now we have this unseemly gorilla you're right, right you're right i'm sorry like i said he's laid the hypocrisy bare i can't believe i was like that. whoa Three is this lives. coming to me live from mid 2016 are you like no, <laughs> i was just like man, i forgot i just like he's he's not the president of my head you know what i'm saying right. but you know like but even with him it's like it like yes actually you're right but the conversation about his divorce has been really interesting because people just like don't think about it and all these christian leaders are like but he's like god's chosen leader and i was like literally what happened when we had a black guy and you guys decided that like the standards are different for him this is weird all of this is weird yeah i mean i dislike hypocrisy obviously but i also think that when it comes to matters of like morality i'm air quoting that we want to see reflected in our politics. And like that, this also I think applies to people that I disagree with. It's fair to ask those questions about the politicians you're electing. Like I do care that this president has like never given a dime to charity, even though he's claiming he's giving lots of money to charity because I have a value that if you're a rich person, you should give a lot of money to charity. Like that's a personal moral value I have. You know what I mean? And I feel comfortable like holding the president to that. But I also, you're right, like, oh, okay, do I hold myself to that? Do I hold my friends to that? Like, it's fair to ask, like, 
whether not only whether elected officials are being hypocritical, but like whether you and your judgment are being hypocritical. I mean, I'm also not. I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah. Because I think I don't want to let any of these bad people off the hook. Like, no, you're like actually bad. Like, please. You're not going to catch me making the case for Donald Trump's divorces. I guess maybe the point that I'm trying to make is that um, it's more complicated than that. And we get the leaders that we deserve because we are unwilling to have those hard conversations about everything else. Right. And also it's like it and it's like having impossible standards like that is why we have hypocrites in power. Just bringing it back to the kind of the question about like what does the public have a right to know at versus and and like performativity if you're if you're a public figure. I mean, my feeling is like actually your personal morality is fair game if you are the democratically mm, questionable but democratically elected leader of like mm. of a nation. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Um, the supposedly democratically elected leader of a nation is like we should expect a certain amount of transparency on how you are living the values that you claim to hold. And I feel like differently about people whose business is entertainment and the public eye as opposed to people who are literally on the public payroll as public servants. Yeah, but I guess that the problem is that also, like, those lines are shifting, right? It's, like, obviously, like, politicians, like, that's, like, fair. But, you know, like, where do you put, like, something like the royal family between, like, entertainment and public figures and, like, politics is, like, it's blurry. Oh, man. If they are on the public payroll, they are, like, a political figure in my point of view. You know what? You're right. It's like, don't take the money and then you don't have to deal with the rules. Exactly. We have examples of this. You can always abdicate. (laughs) (laughs) You can. You can always, like, you don't, you're right. You don't actually have to do this. I just have, I have a soft spot because I care so much about, like, I don't know. Like, I care a lot about personal privacy. And I think that we, like, as a society, are really terrible about the ways that we use that. Like, obviously, you know, but also, like, super rich people who have access to PR and, like, don't use it well. I'm always like, what is wrong with you? Just use your platform for good things and then do all the bad things that you want to do and don't get caught. Like, that's how the game works. Right. And just make make good choices, too. I mean, I think for other public figures, and this is something, I mean, I know... Jenna Wortham wrote that great thing about how Beyonce uses social media to reveal like what she wants to reveal and when and how that tactic is actually available to all of us. Like I think about that a lot when people um, ask us questions about like how we could be so personal on this podcast or whatever. And I'm like, you know, like obviously we talk about some things that are personal, but like there is a lot that is not (laughs) recorded for public consumption. And I think like increasingly that's become a skill that you need, even if you aren't like, a, you know, a, an elected official or a celebrity. Like, this idea of, like, what do you keep for yourself and what do you make public? Right. And you should, and everybody should have a really rich interior life. It's like, you should keep a lot for yourself, actually. To be the, the person making that choice, as opposed to feeling like something isn't real unless it's been externally validated. I think that, like, that is a skill set. You know, it's not just some sort of personality trait. It's something that you actually have to like think about and work on and interrogate what do I want for me and what is part of my work in the world, even if you're not Kim Kardashian West.
Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com. Offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Love to our listeners who are in Houston. Love to our listeners on the Gulf Coast. Um, Heartbreak. Do you? Heartbreak. I know you have like you have important people in Houston. Do you have like a fave charity or something that you are super into in terms of like where to send your extra pocket money? So I am a big proponent of like giving locally. People have many feelings about the Red Cross. I personally do not give a dollar of my money to the Red Cross, but like do your research, do what you want to do. One of the things that uh, a couple of people have highlighted are organizations that will give money to donate menstrual products to people who are in Houston. Because let's be real, women are disproportionately affected by natural disasters all over the world. And, uh, you know, like we care a lot about menstrual hygiene in this family. So there are a couple of places that you can give your that you could give your money to. One of them is Aquí Estamos RGV, and the other is the Neta fundraising campaign. We'll put all of this in the agenda. And also, I think there have been some really good lists, like Gia Tolentino put, who is also like uh, is from Houston, put together like a good list of places that you can give your money to and volunteer. But this is really. This has been like really heartbreaking. Love you, Texas. Yeah, we are. We'll put some links to some local organizations that we like in the show notes and on our website. And this is one of those things I think too that like if you're really overwhelmed and like you don't know where to start, like I have been really overwhelmed and like watching the news has just been like it's like watching streets that you know and see them be like flooded. It's like, you don't know where to start. If you have a little bit of money, I think that like one way that I always think about this is like, what is like an issue that I care about and how can I help in that way? You know? So like, I have a lot of friends who've been like really touched by all of the animal rescue that they're seeing. And so they're figuring out like ways to give money to those organizations. If you care a lot about like immigrant families who are displaced, it's like there there's so many causes that you care about and all of them intersect totally. with the hurricane. Like that's just 
Right. Like that's I, it. So yeah. it's like like one way to come out of your inertia and also just like generally feeling bad is just it's like focus on one thing. One day maybe the government will get its shit together and give these people the billions of dollars that they need to rebuild their city. But in the meantime, like you can do that. It's like pick an issue that you care about, figure out how it intersects with the hurricane and do your research to figure out like how money can go to that. Totally. I gave to the Montrose Center, which is the local LGBT organization, and to uh, Houston and Harris County Homeless Services. So exactly. Like I, I think that that's like such smart advice. The way you think about giving overall, like apply it to organizations on the ground. Ugh, everything is so hard. I know. Um, yeah, and if you are watching what is unfolding in Houston and are recognizing the need that's there and, like, how many people are suffering, it probably bears mentioning that there are actually right now many other places on other continents that are experiencing equally catastrophic flooding because climate change, um, <laughs> among other things. Yeah, like a, a thousand people died in the India monsoon. So that's like something to remember. And and Southeast Asia has been just like pummeled by rain. Totally. So lots of places wanting your donations. And I do think that the um, the criteria for how you find an organization or how you think about giving is the same. You know, just keeping in mind that it's like, it's not just Houston. That's right. So we are going to link to Houston resources in the show notes. And if you get the bleed, our newsletter, you will see more information there. If you don't get the bleed, you should subscribe to it. And if you have um, some suggestions about global organizations that we can give to for other places that have been affected by flooding, you can tweet them at us or email them to us. We would love to share that with everybody as well. Totally. Okay, lighter note, did you see this article about the women startup co-founders who created a fake male co-founder to try to get like people to take them seriously when they were asking for funding? I had to read it three times because I thought it was you, me, and Gina. <laughs> because we have talked about this so many times. I was like, did we implement this plan while I was not paying attention? What's going on? Oh my God, it's, it's basically amazing. the plot of the Whoopi Goldberg 90s classic, The Associate, in which she invents a white male business partner in order to have her ideas heard and advance through like corporate New York. It's 100% that principle. The co-founder that these women invented, they named him Keith Mann. <laughs> um, and yeah, they basically like, you know, were sick of getting emails from developers that started with stuff like, okay, girls, or like condescending messages explaining what needed to happen or what needed to be done. And so they like actually watched uh, developers show more deference to Keith, for example, 
it's one of those things that obviously, like, not surprising to learn that people interact digitally differently if they think that the these the person they're corresponding with is a man. But, you know, I mean, I do think that sometimes stories like this allow the lived experience of women in tech to hit home for people who are not experiencing like condescending emails and things like that directly. So Right. But yeah. then it's also like expand it out, right? And then think about all the people that you know that have like non-white sounding names yep. or like whatever, you know, and just like it's like when I hear stories like this all the time, the first thing that sets in is that like person of color paranoia that every person of color has. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just like a low grade fever where you're like, hmm, has this been going on in my life and I just don't know about it? And you think about it for five minutes and then you decide that if you think about it more, it'll drive you crazy. So you just keep going. It's like this stuff is always really interesting because it's like you look at it through one lens and then you expand it out and then you really, you like really see the scope of the problem. Yep. And it's like, this is crazy. It's like, this is really crazy. Yeah, totally. Like, this is the tip of the iceberg. Props to those ladies. I'm, like, changing my email name right now to Keith Mann. Keith Mann. Is that, what? what is your, like, white male email alias? Like, this is a fun game. I need the internet formula for how to create my your- My Starbucks name, my Starbucks name is Amanda, which, like, always works miracles for me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like my white man name has to be, like, really white. Like, Todd or Trip or, like, like something, like, unmistakably white. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely be like Andy Friedman. <laughs> Andy Friedman, you know, Andy Friedman though still could be unisex. You gotta go. You gotta be Andrew Friedman. All right, Andrew, Andrew, um, Andrew Friedman. I'm gonna be. Um, I'm gonna be or Scott, mm, except that I met a black Scott and it really shook my world the other day. I'm gonna figure out trip something. Travis, to you want to be Travis? <laughs> Ooh, Travis is good, and Travis is such a Texas name. Thank you for tying it all in together. I know. I just that was always I, the that was always the joke that we had at the like UT International Student Center, where it was like there is there is always a Travis, and I was like, that's true. There is always a Travis in Texas. Uh, look out! Look out for our competing podcast, co-hosted by Andrew and Travis. <laughs> Andrew and Travis, <laughs> gonna have to gonna have to work on that bass in my voice. It's true. We're gonna have to have Gina do some editing trickery so our voices sound different. But uh. we got this. Um, okay, before we leave, though, actually, I do want to leave on one Prince Charles menstrual related note. Yes, you know about Prince. You know about Prince Charles and Tampon Gate, right? Wait, no. Wait, Prince Charles and Tampon Gate? No. And okay, <laughs> actually, this is amazing because again. I realize that, like, everything I know about, like, periods and marriage are all because of Diana and Prince Charles. So Prince Charles was married to Diana, but he was, like, definitely in love with Camilla, which, like, a sidebar, as I have grown older, I have changed my mind about those two. Or not I've changed my mind, but I have rather I have softened on those two Mm -hmm. um, because life is complicated and long. But back in the 90s, I think it was, like, in 92, maybe, because I was definitely a baby. I was, like, seven or eight. Um, Prince Charles was caught on tape having this like flirty conversation with Camilla and uh, Diana definitely heard it and hold on I'm going to find the transcript so I can read it to you because I will not do it justice Charles oh god I'll just live inside your trousers or something it would be much easier I wish I could do a good British accent but it always turns out to sound Jamaican Camilla (laughs) laughs what are you going to turn into a pair of knickers both laugh. Oh, you're going to, or you're going to come back as a pair of knickers? 
Charles, oh, God forbid, a Tampax, just my luck. Laughs. Camilla, you are a complete idiot. Laughs. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Um, This was like, like, just imagine like 92, the low amount, like how little media people had then compared to now, but like still on that global scale, like the amount of scandal this was. Horror. <laughs> like, this is crazy. So whenever I think about, whenever I see Prince Charles, it's all I can think about. I was like, you like told a lady you wanted to come back as her fucking tampon. That's insane. Yeah, I mean. But also that's how you know the love is real. It's true. He just wants to soak it all up. Yeah, I'm like, you don't casually tell your mistress you, like, want to be a menstrual the hygiene, like, tool that's, like, real. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, shout out to Prince Charles for being this week's, uh, this millennia in menstruation. Thank you. <laughs> um, I also feel like the the perfect song to play us out is, have you seen the Ivanka Del Rey video? Uh, yes, I like lost my mind. Thank you, Amber Kaufman. Too good. One hundred percent. So I think that um, like we'll link to it in the show notes. But I, Ivanka Del Rey are the th- the only three words that you need to hear to understand it, and it is just what the internet is made for. Like that level of brilliant parody. I'm obsessed. Now the fastest growing Thanks for wanting to come back as my tampon also, and This is how I know we are real friends. You know, I'm just here to absorb everything that you are putting out there. <laughs> absorb, I hate you. <laughs> I guess, you know how people are always like, what are words that you hate? And everybody always says moist. Moist has never bothered me, but absorb really bothers me. Now I know. Uh, mine is crevice. Oh, crevice, why? That's such a pleasant word. See, di- ears are different. We're different here. <laughs> I like that word. Yeah, absorb. All right. Crazy. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714 714- 681-2943 that's 714-681-CYGF our theme song is by Robin all other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs and this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck I'll see you on the internet <laughs> see you on the internet boo boo